Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series, Mysteries of the Kingdom, with a message titled, Jesus, Lord of Rest. So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. It's an old book now. Its title is Peace Child, and it was written by Don Richardson. It's a story of a missionary, Richardson himself, who goes to minister to a primitive tribe in Guinea. As Richardson first relays the story of the gospel, to his horror, he discovers that they think that Judas is the hero of the story. Well, that's because this tribe, the Sawi tribe, thought that betrayal, when done well, was the highest of all virtues. I mention that because, as you and I know, What's convincing to one group of people, or one individual for that matter, might not be convincing to someone else. Paul mentions that phenomenon in 1 Corinthians 1.22. He says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. That's to say, what convinced the Jews was a sign from heaven. But the Greeks would not have found that convincing at all. They thought in terms of reason, philosophical premises, and properly established conclusions. The Jews would not have found that convincing. Now, in the culture I was raised in, apologetics was especially convincing. Show that Jesus was a historical figure, that the Bible is historically authentic, that miracles really do occur. Show the reality and significance of the resurrection, all of that, and you make a convincing case for the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And given the fact that it's true, how then should we respond? Should you not know then that God makes demands on your life and that you repent of your sins and surrender to Jesus? Now, that was convincing in my day. But now things have changed again. A new generation wants answers to questions about gender identity and sexuality and whether or not the gospel is intolerant. Don't you see what constitutes proof changes? It shouldn't therefore surprise us when we find, as we come to to Matthew 12, that we find a question about Jesus that many people around the world would, would almost not understand. Well, let me explain. We're studying Matthew 11 to 13, a section in the book of Matthew that I've entitled, The Mysteries of the Kingdom of Heaven. The principal issue here is that even though it's apparent that Jesus does some amazing miracles, which which include his mastery over nature and his ability to heal diseases and even raise the dead, that many people are not convinced at all. And for one, as we've noticed in Matthew 11, even John the Baptist struggled. I mean, after all, Jesus was surely pouring out the kingdom of heaven, and yet wasn't an essential part of the kingdom of heaven the utter defeat of evil and the overthrowing of wicked governments? And yet John was in prison. And the answer to that was that Jesus makes it plain that his judging of evil would indeed come, but now was the day of mercy in which grace was extended to sinners. And for this reason, he makes an offer found in Matthew 11, 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So these were remarkable days. The kingdom of heaven had come in the form of mercy, And the days of judgment were deliberately being held back so that the days of mercy could be extended. And Jesus came to offer rest to those who were burdened down. And when we come to Matthew chapter 12, we find a new reason for doubting whether or not Jesus really is the long-expected Messiah, the King and ruler of Israel and of the world. This is what I was talking about when I said that, that different cultures have different grounds for proof. 
Well, in order to understand, let's read today's text. And I'm reading Matthew 12, verses 1 to 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, in order to understand this text, it's important to understand the three most important and distinctive marks of the Jewish life. That is to say, practically, what did it mean to be a Jew at the time of Jesus? And the answer is that that circumcision of all Jewish males and strict observance to the Old Testament dietary laws and observance of the Sabbath. These were central to what it meant to be a Jew. And so if a man who did miracles and announced that the kingdom of heaven was breaking in, well, all that was fine, but if he broke the Sabbath, he is to be disqualified immediately. Again, to the modern mind, that that just seems nonsensical. I mean, I live in a world where the stores are open seven days a week. I live in a world where, where we hear of someone who works seven days a week and we tend to think of a, you know, an aggressive entrepreneur, someone who does what needs to be done to get ahead and is, and is making the sacrifices that are necessary to grow his or her business. It doesn't occur to most North Americans that how we treat one day a week has anything at all to do with morality or authenticity. But of course, Sabbath keeping is a part of the Ten Commandments. That is to say, in the Bible, It's a part of God's top 10 list of of grievous sins against heaven. And so if you're a Sabbath breaker, you show yourself to be a man or woman without God. And if the supposed king breaks the Sabbath, he's not of God, no matter how many miracles he does. And furthermore, and this is where Matthew ties concepts together for us, hasn't Jesus just made an offer? He has said, come to me, everyone who is weary and and burdened and overworked and sin-oppressed, and this is what I promise you, rest. But if he's violating God's pattern for rest, what are we to make of all of that? Well then, isn't he just a hypocrite? And if you think about it, you're going to see that the question of rest is not simply a question for ancient Jews who lived during the time of Jesus. Isn't it our issue as well? I mean, when one considers the rates of depression and hypertension and stress and sleeplessness that are rampant in our society, wouldn't you agree with me that the promise that Jesus gives to provide us rest for our souls, that's no minor thing. Rest for our souls, my oh my, what a valuable commodity. Is it possible then that the kingdom of heaven in this era of mercy would not only provide us with miracles and healings, but rest. How sweet does that sound? It's an amazing commodity. It's the offer of the great king, the Messiah. He's making to all who would believe, and don't you just want that? And so when the Pharisees come and they find Jesus and his disciples in a grain field on the Sabbath and find them picking heads of grain, aren't they right to challenge him? I hope you see how significant that moment was. Now, before we move on, a bit of explanation is required. 
I mean, please notice that, at least in our culture, if you walk through someone's grain field or their orchard or their vineyard or through a field growing vegetables and just help yourself, that would be considered theft. But not in ancient Israel. Listen to Deuteronomy 23, verses 24 and 25. The law said, If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Indeed, Israel had a law. Farmers were not to harvest their fields up to the edges of their property. That was to be left for the poor and for sojourners who were journeying through Israel. The idea behind that was that since the land was God's, and since the land overflows with blessing, then is it not true that one has to bless others out of the bounty that God has provided for you? Don't you see? This way of treating the land and of the grain harvest was a way of showing God's grace to those who needed it. And so Jesus and his disciples, they're hungry. I take it that doesn't mean that they were, as we might call it today, just, you know, simply being peckish that is just looking for a snack between meals. No, no. Since they had left everything to follow Jesus, I'm assuming now that their hunger was real. And so they did that which the law allowed. Or did they? Because it was Sabbath. It was a day when all work, and that included the work of stripping grain from the stalks, was to cease. Wait another day and get your grain then. But instead of waiting out of their hunger, they can't hold back. And the Pharisees, and here Matthew doesn't explain to us how this came to be, but, but they're watching. That is to say, the grain field must have been just outside of a village, and the disciples aren't hiding what they're doing on this Sabbath. So, so the Pharisees say, this is exactly why we won't believe in you, and we won't believe your promises either. It's not that we deny that you're doing an outstanding group of miracles, but that does require an explanation, sure enough. But whatever the explanation we come up with, we don't believe that you're the great king after all, because you, sir, are a lawbreaker. You don't give rest at all. You break God's rest. What then is to be said of that? How will you begin 2019? And when the year comes to a conclusion, what will you look back on to know that you've earnestly pursued God, you've witnessed His power, experienced His love, and declared His praise? Well, Back to the Bible Canada is a Bible teaching ministry not intended simply to change minds, but hearts, and to call God's people to live lives that glorify Him. This new year, we continue to search out God's will and purpose to embrace new opportunities for declaring His word of truth and freely share Bible teaching resources that engage the mind, heart, and spirit. Our prayers that you would journey with us with your prayers, your encouragement, and your financial support. Together, working to share God's word of truth and life. Call us today with your gift or for more information about all the ministry resources available to you, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. I've noticed that the Bible really does answer most of our serious questions. If you're struggling to believe, the Bible really does give some rather profound answers. But to the question of whether Jesus is a Sabbath breaker, well, we do well to understand the background 
and then we do well to consider Jesus' answer. Well, the background is a background that most Christians have been taught. We know that the Pharisees added rules, that is, rules upon rules, to the very simple command of God. You know, as a matter of fact, the biblical rules around Sabbath are actually, well, they're quite simple. Refrain from work on the Sabbath and take the time to worship God. That's it. But the Pharisees were interested in defining what constituted work and, and in their mind, one needed to know how far one could walk on the Sabbath and so on. Indeed, the Talmud identifies 39 categories of prohibitions for the Sabbath. And for our purposes, reaping grain, that was prohibited. And so he was proof positive. Jesus can't be the king. He's reaping on the Sabbath. Now, remember, I began by saying that what constitutes proof varies from culture to culture. But here it's more. If Jesus is not the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, if instead he's a lawbreaker, well, then he can't be the Messiah. So in response, Jesus says three things. First, he says that he and his disciples are acting biblically. He proves he's not a lawbreaker in any sense. Second, he declares that there is some work that is acceptable on the Sabbath. And then third, he declares the point of Sabbath. That is, he declares the purpose of Sabbath. Now, if I were to interject here, can you see how important this discussion is for us? Some of us just can't understand the fourth command at all. That is, the command to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. Now, some of us really have become seven-day-a-week people in which no day is set aside for rest and for worship. And then we complain that, that to insist on one day a week, well, that's just legalism. And in consequence, we miss out of God's rich blessing for us. So let's let Jesus explain the essence and the purpose of Sabbath. First, Jesus declares that he has never broken the Sabbath. Look again at verses 3 and 4. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Now, the incident that Jesus was referring to comes from 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 to 6. You know, at that time, the tabernacle of God was in Nob, and David and his men were fleeing from Saul. They approached the priest and asked for something to eat, and Ahimelech, who's the priest, gives them five loaves of bread, and those loaves are also called the bread of the presence. Now, according to Leviticus 24, verse 9, the bread of the presence was that bread that was specifically set before the altar of God, and it was to be there for one day. After one day, it was to be given to the priests who were to eat it. But in the case of 1 Samuel 21, it was David and his men who ate that very bread that was reserved for priests alone. And nowhere does the Bible ever condemn or even accuse David of inappropriate actions here. That is to say, in the case of an emergency, even the holy bread was not withheld from people in genuine need. Now, we have to imagine Jesus facing the Pharisees directly. Verse 3 says, have you not read? (laughs) Don't you know your Bible? Are you really not well-versed? Yeah, under normal conditions, this bread was for a defined purpose. But in the case of an emergency, this bread is not to be withheld from those who are needy. Since that's exactly what the Bible teaches about the bread of the presence, then how much more is it true about this standing grain on the Sabbath for men who are genuinely hungry? 
Why don't you, he says to the Pharisees, instead of condemning, just sit down and read your Bible for a while? (laughs) Man, you've got to see this. I mean, Jesus has the Pharisees on their heels. It must have been quite something for the common people hearing Jesus telling the, the Pharisees of all people, you know, you guys don't know your Bible very well. I can almost see the red-faced Pharisees now struggling to regain their footing. They started by accusing Jesus, and here he is. He's accusing them. But Jesus is not done. He gives the second reason for his actions. Some work, he says, is acceptable on the Sabbath. God never said that every form of work was unacceptable. Look again at verses 5 and 6. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Now, this is a passage that I, as a, a longtime pastor, and I understand this perfectly. I can tell you that Sunday, the Lord's Day, the day set aside for rest and worship, is that one day that I violated for over 30 years, and yet I'm guiltless. I worked harder on that day than any other day. I preached, I prayed with people, I went out for them for lunch, and I ministered all day long until I fell exhausted into bed, but I never violated the Sabbath. Well, so it is with the Old Testament priests. According to Numbers chapter 28, verses 9 and 10, every single Sabbath, the priests were required to offer up to God two male lambs a year old and then two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering. That is, they did it every single Sabbath. And it was work, both to prepare the offering and to dispose of it appropriately. Now, at this point, everyone follows. You see, okay, some work is acceptable, but until now, you know, Jesus, we might say to him, you've only articulated work that deals with worship. That's the one exception. No more. Not stripping grain. Ah, but right here, Jesus is leading to a point. It is true, he says, that the work that was permitted was performed in the temple, but something greater than the temple is standing right in front of you. Now, this is not the first time Jesus spoke this way. You might recall in John chapter 2, Jesus is in a debate with the religious leaders. And in verse 19, Jesus says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And then later in verse 21, John explains that by saying, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. Indeed, that must be. If the purpose of the temple was to bring the presence of God to human beings, what then was Jesus? Well, he's God come to us in human flesh. He is the temple of God. And that brings us back to Jesus in the grain fields. He's told his disciples to go ahead and strip the grain of the field and eat. Yes, some work is acceptable on the Sabbath. And how does his being the temple make the work of stripping grain acceptable? Well, listen to Jesus' third reason. It's found in verse 7. And if you had known what this means... I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Now, that's a quote from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. Now, mercy in the Old Testament speaks of the compassion of God. This is what Jesus is saying. I'm the temple of God, and as the temple of God, I have shown compassion to my hungry disciples. This is what we must all learn. No one has ever violated the Sabbath when he or she shows God's compassion on hungry or hurting or needy people. Never, never. God is a merciful God, and to withhold mercy because it's the Sabbath, that would be a sin. No, mercy is demanded of us, especially on the Sabbath. And then having given those three reasons for doing what he was doing in the grain field, Jesus ends with an astonishing statement. Verse 8 says, For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What does that mean? 
It means that Jesus is the authentic interpreter of what God really meant by giving us the Sabbath. The Sabbath was not given to add one more burden onto people's already burdened lives. Quite the opposite. God gave the Sabbath to take burdens away. And that's what the Pharisees didn't understand. They were blind to God's good intentions. But Jesus, the great king, had come to restore that which the false teachers, the Pharisees, had sought to take away. What are we to make of all of that? Well, it is true as one reads the book of Matthew that Jesus does make some very rigorous demands on his people. In his great Sermon on the Mount, he calls on us to forgive our enemies. He calls on us to guard against lustful thoughts. He calls on us not to divorce our wives, not to retaliate against our enemies. He calls on us to give to the needy, to be fervent in prayer, to abandon all thoughts of greed, and so on. Is that a burden? Hardly. That's how burdens are lifted. Lust, greed, these things burden our lives to the point of breaking us. And external religious demands, well, they don't lessen the burdens at all. But Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, has come to lift our burdens and to set us free. That's what the great king does. And that's what happens when the kingdom of heaven bursts out among us. All the burdens are taken away and we are set free. That's what the kingdom of heaven looks like. That's how we know that the kingdom of God has broken out in our midst. That's how we know the king is among us. John, a personal question comes to mind because I think a lot of us have lost our way in respect of the Sabbath. How do you claim the Sabbath for yourself? Yeah, they're really, I can give you some very simple answers to that. The thing that I make as priority on the Sabbath is to say, Sabbath is for me a day of worship. You know, it is a day in which I don't miss church, Ben. I mean, so even if Kathy and I are on vacation, we look for a place where we can attend because I want to, without exception, always be in the house of God, and I always want to be among God's people, and I want to hear the Word of God ministered to me. I want it to be that. I want to look forward to that. I guess the other thing that I can say is that I I really do want to cease from my labor. Uh, Three things, really. I want to cease from my labor. I want to worship, but I also want to give myself to fellowship and friendship and and all the things that, you know, make up the goodness of life. And by the way, the thing about work, you'd be surprised if you uh, don't work on the Sabbath. There really is time for other stuff. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow for a continuation of the series in Matthew right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. What headlines are capturing your attention? The stock market, international unrest, politics, violence? Is the world out of control? I want to encourage you, what may appear hopeless is completely within the governing hand of God. What seems mysterious, unwieldy, God's people place confidence in the creator, sustainer, and governor of all things. And that's the point of Dr. Neufeld's new series, The Mysteries of the Kingdom, a study of Matthew 11 to 13. Dr. Neufeld wrote, listen, Christian, your Savior is not just a personal Savior. He is Lord of heaven and earth, and no opposition raised up against him will stand. Such is the power and authority of your Lord. Don't ever forget that. Join us all month for the Mysteries of the Kingdom right here on Back to the Bible Canada. 
And please consider offering your support for this daily Bible teaching program by calling 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.